I, I have to say, in the in the shore leave episode, at one point, um, when Kirk finally beats up Finnegan, you know, Spock says, you know, so Captain, after all those years, you know, did you enjoy it? And Kirk says, I enjoyed it very much, and they like give each other looks. How many times has that scene been taken out of context? Oh, many. I'm sure. I, I, I I'm like this is probably the original scene that started slash fiction. Yes. Well, that episode. Well, Shore Leave has two of those, right? It has Kirk really wanting Spock to give him a back rub. Yeah. And Finnegan and Kirk. Yeah. So maybe there was a, like a three way action going on there at some point. Finnegan, Kirk, and Spock. Correct. That would be. I, I would watch that movie. Better than watching Shore Leave. I, you know, sure. Okay, so shortly. Well, what's on the agenda for today, Richard? Uh, we are going to talk about the episode shortly. Shortly. There you go. I uh, use my words. Yep, I know you got it's, it. It's really hard. It's a hard to say title. Sure leave. I, I can see that because it's got sort of. Is that called? Is that a glottal stop? Is no, 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 is? no. A glottal stop is. Uh, 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 um. You know, I'm, no, I'm, a glottal stop. Glottal stop is hard to say too. Glottal stop. That's two hard consonant sounds, right? Glottal. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know what I don't know oh. what I don't know what sort of uh, but, linguistic thing sure leave is. But you know, you, you know, it's like my thing where I can't say you know mountain or like bootin or like you know bottle or you know so like a glottal stop. Mountain bottle. Mountain. What was that second word you said? Bottle. No. Oh, uh, bootin. It's the name of a town in Jersey. Oh, Trenton. 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 Yeah. Our state capital. So yeah, Shore Leave and Galileo 7. Galileo 7. We'll talk about Shore Leave first, obviously. Okay, so Shore Leave is one of the few episodes that I'd actually seen already. Um, okay, so this is a repeat viewing for you. Yes, I think this is the first repeat viewing, I want to say. All right. Now, what did you think about it? So I... I, I the like, second time. Second time, not as much. Um, you know, the, the thing is... It was a fine episode. It's entertaining. There's some weird stuff happening. It's fine. It's a filler episode. It's a big yeah. budget filler episode. And, and you know, I think it's worth watching just because the planet is very pretty. Yeah. It's one of those, you know, even if you just watch it with the sound muted, it's still a cool episode. Well, it's interesting, at. right? I think it's the second episode we've seen, uh, first one being Miri, uh, that was actually filmed outside yeah. and not on a soundstage. Uh, well, Miri was kind of filmed on a soundstage, but it was an outdoor set. So... That's notable. Yeah. And it, I mean, the cinematography, the photography of this episode is really good. And I think that the planet itself is, is, is beautiful, as you said. Uh, fun fact about that, which I looked up in the Star Trek compendium, which I am helping myself have some knowledge about these episodes. Uh, that was actually filmed at a like some sort of amusement park okay. in California. Uh, and they actually had a very small area to film in. So that's why you basically saw the same areas over <laughs> and over again in the episode. So I also like the fact that uh, you had this really nice lush area around the lake and then about um, two feet away yeah. you had like desert. Yeah, yeah. That was, was cool too. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah no, it, it's it's a very good looking episode and some of the things that happen are funny. Like it's funny to watch, you know, McCoy with the Alice, you know, meeting Alice in Wonderland or, you know, Sulu gets attacked by a samurai who's thrusting a large phallic symbol at mm-hmm. him. Yeah, sure. Um, so though for those things, again, it's a diverting episode. It's something to have on. It's not going to change your life, I think. Yeah, I it's funny because I, last week I said that I don't really like this episode. And, and yeah, I was I, surprised. I stand by that. I don't really like this episode. I don't think it's a bad episode by any means. Um, I certainly don't hate it. 
as faint praise as that is, I just don't really care for it. Like, I, I find the opening of it to be kind of off-putting and creepy when it's supposed to be funny. Um, and then there are large stretches of it that I just really don't care about. And then the end of it is just sort of like, wizard! You know, it's like, I don't know. It just doesn't no, really do know, it for me. You know, what, tell us about your people. Yeah, that's too far advanced for yeah. your knowledge. I, I mean, what's... I can't tell you about that, <laughs> humans. What's the thing that the internet always says now? Wizard did it? Yeah. I mean, that's basically what this episode is. You know, and, and by the way, the I totally missed this the first time somehow, but this shore leave is essentially going to now be people having fantasy boning. Oh, yeah. Because and everybody kind of openly admits that it's just going to be boning for the next couple of days. Well, the last shot of the of the episode is, is Kirk looking longingly at the, the fake woman. Yeah. Which I actually thought they could have done more with because obviously they were supposed to have some sort of history. Yeah. And the episode, I, I kind of like the fact that the script never really explains Did- who she is. But at the same time, I kind of don't like that because... A lot of the emotional impact that could be wrung out of that isn't really there. Did it say that she died in the episode? Because I always, I seem to remember having that impression because, okay, I don't know where I got that from because when I remember, I'm like, oh yeah, she's dead and you know, this is an old lover of his and because that's what I, why I figured like his reaction is exactly this. She's somebody dead and he's seeing this woman that he, you know, not, not only should, should she not have been here if she were alive, but you know. She should not be in the realm of the living. He should not be able to see her. And I thought, you know, if that had been a... And I thought I I wasn't sure if I just missed it this time, but I figured that was a definite subtext to that. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that that's never definitively said. I can see that definitely. And I mean, I'm kind of surprised that I never thought that maybe subconsciously I did. Because it is sort of like a very sort of, you know, longing, I miss you, like, oh my God, I can't believe you're here sort of thing. More to a degree than is probably warranted by the circumstances. Yeah. And, you know, he's, is is this woman a ghost? Are they dead in heaven? You know, there's it's like those kind of things, you know, in there too. But at the same time, I don't know for sure. I didn't look this up, but she looks older than Kirk. And if this is a woman that died in, I guess, the not recent past, because he's been on a starship for a couple years at least. Yeah. Uh, if this is supposed to be someone from maybe, I don't know, five or ten years in his past, and she's in her 40s, and Captain Kirk would have been in his 20s. I mean, not that there's anything I was saying, and it could, it could have only that, been a few but, years ago. I mean, it yeah. could have been a two or three years ago. He had this very intense really Because there's something... But either way, there's something more. This wasn't just a random girl in the port. You know, this was somebody that he genuinely loved, and... There's some reason that he can't be with her now, and there's and it's a fairly permanent one. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that there's any significance to the fact that Kirk is the only person to see people, real people from his past? And not only that, but to see two of them. You know, I, from a show perspective, I understand exactly why that. Because, the sh- you know, the show was about giving a little bit of more de- depth to Kirk's character. Yeah. That's- what his and business need, is going down, and you, that's good. Yeah, and you need something like that to, to to hang some sort of emotional interest. Yeah, but then meanwhile, like the t- you see these two crewmen, and they're getting menaced by you know all these random things. A tiger at one point, like a World War Two bomber, and you know that's that's almost. I don't want to say it's funny because the poor people, like, she died. Doesn't she die even by she gets it? She shot, sort of, I think. Yeah, it's, it's this big dramatic thing, but it's almost funny the elaborate things they go through. This know? also this also starts the wonderful Star Trek cliche of one crew member being a 
expert in 20th century technology. (laughs) Well, that's a strafing run. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But, you know, to give, and if you gave gave McCoy a backstory in this, you gave Spock a backstory, if every single one of them has something going on, that would kind of, especially for the time that this was made, make it too convoluted of a show. So you have this, you know, the couple's just going on this Avenger plot, and here's a samurai, and here's some cool shit to look at, you know, and then, you know, we're giving all this characterization to him. An in-story reason, I don't know. I mean, they make a point of Spock is the only one. Spock doesn't really have anything manifest except for the tiger when he's explicitly thinking about the tiger. There's kind of this implication that Spock doesn't really have an imagination. Oh, yes. Like, unless it's like an explicit, like, I am thinking of a tiger because I just mentioned it. If a tiger were to attack, and that's as far as his imagination goes, and he is theoretically imagining a tiger attack, so it happens. Yeah, exactly. I think that's an interesting character note. I also think it's an interesting character note that McCoy doesn't really see anything. I mean, he sees, besides the Al- yeah. he starts it off by seeing the White Rabbit in Alice in, in Alice in Wonderland, of course. But aside from that, but then again, his girlfriend, his girlfriend is the one who's doing the more active imagining, and she's going into this like you know. Arthurian Knights fantasy, and she sees this dress, and she's like, oh, random dress, I'm gonna put it on, you know, I don't know what's going on, and just as Sulu finds a random gun and plays with it, and they don't think, like, because my immediate thing would be, okay, well, whose dress is this? Is the, you know, I'd call, be calling out yeah. at that point. Yeah, like, who is this? Are you skinny dipping? What's going on? Yeah. I mean, that does come later in the episode, so I guess you can sort of imagine that, okay, well, she did see Don Juan jump out of the bushes and try and rape her, or whatever the hell was going on, I don't even know. Uh, I mean, I think the interesting thing is though, like McCoy, is that his girlfriend? I mean, I don't know. Like, because well, it's, I mean, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's his, it's his love interest that week. It's a woman who's on the ship. Yeah. They just happen to be spending, you know, time together and they were like, Hey, you know, we're gonna hang out. You we're know? hanging out. This we're... is kind of like a second date type of situation. I figured like they're making it a working date more than anything like they they, because they very clearly like each other and they're very flirty but they don't have a long relationship i don't know i saw whenever i see this episode i mean and i've probably i don't know seen it five times or whatever uh i kind of i don't know mccoy just in this episode not in any other episode really just really strikes me as kind of like a creepy old man (laughs) is it the part where he walks out with the two playboy bunnies at the end oh that that, yeah he's like well i am on shore leave and then like his girlfriend's like well, so am I. He's like, all right. Well, we'll, you know, this place creates things out of your imagination. And because he's not. Nobody think of gonorrhea. <laughs> I mean, you can tell he's not thinking, okay, you know, he doesn't click that she's saying, you know, look, spend this vacation with me. You know, he thinks, okay, well, she's on a planet. She can have whatever beefcake she wants. You know, that's what he's, that's where his mind is going there. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, that's what makes me think they're not in a relationship because I don't know. It's just like, well, I guess maybe if you, you know, have... he's, 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 he's into her while she's around, but then the Playboy bunnies are hotter. That's, I think, where is, that's how his mind worked. I'm sorry, Richard. They're not Playboy bunnies. They're Rigel 2 bunnies. Rigel Get it right. 2 bunnies. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're kind of like highlighting the reasons why I don't <laughs> like this episode because it is just very slight and but, there really isn't anything going on. And, and you know what? The fight with Finnegan takes for fucking ever. Oh, that too. Because yeah. he's like, all right, punch, punch. And it's like this long thing. And it's like, all right, cool action. And they're both like, oh, okay, we're done. Okay, next run. Like they go for like four rounds and like one of them is down and he kicks dirt in his face and they start fighting again and like i wanted to see just 
at this point in the episode, I wanted to see Rodriguez and his girlfriend just going through more and more absurd things attacking them. Like, we had a tiger, we had a bomber, I wanted a dinosaur, I wanted, like, land sharks, Yeah, I wanted, like, you know, communists with rife, like, I wanted them to just... That would have been a good episode. You're going to have a goofy episode. Just go with it. And I think that's maybe it. It wants to be a light, goofy episode, but it doesn't have the nerve to commit itself to being as goofy as it should be. Either the nerve or the budget. I don't know which. I don't know because they can obviously – they could – you know, the tiger is stock footage. The V-50 – the bomber is stock footage. They could do a lot with that. Like I think they just didn't have – I don't think the tiger was stock footage. I think they had a tiger. I don't know. It didn't look. Yeah, it looked. looked yeah, I mean the the quality of the I'm film not stock, a the film um, guy, so. the the set that the tiger was on all looked right to me. Okay, uh, and I don't know how much it would cost to get a tiger from. But somewhere. I would think I mean, that they was, would show more scenes with like the tiger and them in the same frame. Like they very obviously well, are cutting away. If you have a tiger that's tame enough to film, you know. You can rent they, – they make tigers that you can have actors with a trained handler, you know, watching it like a hawk. I think that there are tame tigers and then there are tame tigers. Yeah, I, mean, like, I don't know that I would necessarily want to be that close to a tiger. Well, that's why you have the guy with the gun. There's always a guy with the gun. That's true, and there there wasn't any ASPCA back then to really worry about. Well, it's like so. a tranquilizer gun, I mean. Um, but yeah, if the episode had just gone balls to the wall, you know, we're going to just – Anything we could think of, you know, we're just going to put this shit in this episode. It's just going to be really silly and funny. It might have been a classic episode just because, again, it would have been I, – I thought – um, what is it? Carbamite Renewer, I thought, got that level yeah. of absurd. And because well, they went with it for Baylock at the end, they went as weird as they could think of, and it and, and they hit it. Well, let's think about this for a minute, right? Like, why why is Corbinite Maneuver such a good episode, and why is this kind of like an average episode? And I think it comes down to the engagement that the script has with the characters and the buy-in that we get from, the, from as being the audience, right? Because in the Corbinite, Corbinite Maneuver, now I'm having trouble saying it as well, <laughs> there's really not that much going on, but you're fully invested in it because, number one, the tension is there, the stakes are high, and you're really committed to seeing this game played. Whereas in Shore Leave, I just kind of feel like there's a lot of random shit that happens. Some of it is kind of dangerous, I guess. Yeah. I mean, McCoy does die, yeah. so let's not forget that. Um, and again, on on sheer like, holy shit, there's a knight on a horse. Like that's kind oh, yeah. of you know that 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 kind of ratchets it up a little bit. But at the end of the day. Sort of like 35, 40 minutes into the episode when it's nearly over, Spock comes down and they sort of go, oh, yeah, okay, something is going on. We have to figure out what's happening. Spock makes this this sort of like logical leap in thinking that what they're thinking of is becoming real. Yeah. And they kind of go, okay, we need to figure this out. But they never do. But it, they it do. Ha- it happens for them. But in a way they wish for somebody to show up and give an explanation for everything that's happened. Yeah. And what happens? Somebody shows up and gives them an explanation for what has happened. Yeah. Now, that could have been solved with a line in the script of, you know, for example, I'm even made of vegetables. I, you know. You know, it's funny, though, you say that because uh, in the Star Trek compendium, in the background for this episode, the script as written was quite different from the script as film because apparently it was writ- it was rewritten on set. 
Oh, like a lot of it was rewritten on set, which may be a reason why it doesn't really hang together that well. Uh, but that actually explicitly does happen in the script where Kirk figures it out pretty early and says, I wish for someone to come and tell me what's going on or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But it happens like 20 or 25 minutes into the script. And then there's this whole other section of the script as written where other stuff happens. And I think huh. you need that because there's no, like, if you do that, that's fine. Like, if you set that up as sort of like this Deus Ex Machina and you play by the rules that you established early on in, yeah. this, in the episode, and then something else happens to make that choice justifiable, I think that's fine. But to have that as the capper of the episode, that's really kind of a lame ending. It seems almost like a beginning. Like, you have the, this, well, we've always talked about, we've talked several times about how Star Trek seems to give you one situation and then the danger actually turns out to be something yes. very different. So maybe this episode would have been more interesting. You have this beginning where they see all this weird shit. What's going on? Oh, well, welcome to Amusement Park Planet. Nothing here is dangerous. You know, even if you die, we'll repair you. It'll be fine. You know, totally just guys hang out here for a week and you're whatever you want. Okay, we're on shore leave. First commercial break. Yeah. How do you make that actually dangerous? Yeah, And Because yeah. then uh, not only do you have... Um, you know, you know, then you have the thing where the crewmen think that there is no danger, and so they act with more abandon. But there really is, you know. Yeah. What happens? You know, something happens at the plant where they fix the people. You know, the samurai gets loose and breaks a machine or something like that. And then they have maybe it's actually a prison planet. Exactly. I mean, whatever. I don't you know. know. Maybe they're a... using people's mental energy to vampire off of them. Something like that. You could go. Yeah, it feels like the entire episode is the premise of the episode. Exactly. I think that's kind of my problem with it, and I think that's why it's it feels sort of flaccid, really. Yeah. Um, I think the other problem I have with the episode is a lot of what happens, like the, the projections that they're seeing, never really feel like all that dangerous. Like, I mean, like, yeah, McCoy gets killed, but we all know he's really not dead. Yeah. I mean, did you think he was dead? No. I mean, okay, you had seen the episode before, but I'm sure you didn't actually remember that. No, but still, I mean, but but there are other, ep- you know that they're not going to kill off the main cast at this yeah. point. It's a show in 1967. They're not going to kill a main cast member. Um, but there are episodes where the, they are in legitimate danger and you think, well, how are they going to get out of this? Right. You know, you don't think, you know, is in Galileo seven, you don't think, you know, Oh my God, is Spock going to make it? But you think, how is Spock going to make it? That's, and the the answer to this one is, well, McCoy makes it because he really died, but you know, we just patched him up with vegetables and he's a okay. Yeah. That's the problem. It's like, we all know they're going to make it through, but we don't, there's no there's no interesting question as to how they're going to make it through. They just sort of do. Yeah. And then the end of the episode happens and McCoy's standing there with the Rigel Two Shirt Girls. And it's like, oh, okay. I mean, that's a fine image. I mean, I enjoyed that image of, of yeah. McCoy flanked with two beautiful women and being like, hey, I'm going to fuck these babes later. Um, and then, you know, of course, the shore parties start beaming down and everybody has this debauched action for, you know, two or three days. Oh, man. But... Yeah, I I don't know. There's not really much there. And, and I, again, if they had gone full on comedy with it, that would be okay. Because yeah, they if they wanted to try and show hedge their bets, wacky yeah. shit that happened, you know, it, it, it's the old Simpson thing. There was no lesson. It was just a bunch of stuff that happened. If they did a stuff that happened episode here, and it's not about anything. Star Trek is good when it's about something. When well, they, they have try, a little take home. They try at the very end to make it about something. Remember, because they have that line about like 
play is the most oh uh, yeah you know, the more the more complicated the mind the more necessary play is and i just sort of rolled my eyes yeah. and i was like that's really on the nose like that's trying way too hard to make this episode have some sort of point or some like sort wow of you read the back cover of a hunziga book that yeah was, like, and that was your research <laughs> wow you took intro to psych in college <laughs> wonderful like i don't care that's kind of ridiculous um and I think the other thing about this episode, too, that really starts to drive me crazy about Star Trek, one of the things that always drives me crazy about it is, number one, how incompetent the men are and the women, of course, and number two, how weepy the women are. Like, the, the like, this is why, again, I've, I've said this before in other episodes of this show, but yeah. like, this is why I do fundamentally do not believe that Starfleet, at least in the 23rd century, is any kind of military organization because... The women, like, <laughs> start crying at the drop of a hat, freaking the fuck out, like... Yeoman Ran well, would have kicked ass in this, though. Right, that's what I was... <laughs> like, Yeoman Ran would have just been like, what the hell's going on? I'm, uh, Don Juan, more like, fuck you! Yeah, <laughs> whereas whoever this person was, I don't even remember what the hell her name is, like, all she wants to do is wear pretty dresses. Yeah, and she says specific... Doesn't she say to McCoy at one point, like, well, you know, you're here to protect me, and there, I... Right. I, I wrote the exact thing down. Okay. The exact phrasing was because all women want is to be protected and fought for. When yeah. she was talking about Don Juan. Yeah. I was like, really? That's all women want? No. I'm <laughs> oh, okay. Again, she see you know, her thing is she imagines a fufu dress from like medieval times and she immediately puts it on. And that's her day. Yeah. I, I think this episode could have helped, been helped a lot by having Uhura on the planet, actually. Yeah, well, yeah. Because what we don't, Uhura's? We don't really know much about Uhura at this point, and I think it would have been interesting to find out a little bit about what is going on in her head. Yeah. Like, we find out about Sulu. He he has an affinity for, for, like, ancient weapons and technology. He likes guns. You know, he likes samurais. Um, and, okay, like, Sulu's gay watch, like, totally. I'm kind of on board with you now a little bit because there's a line where... When Don Juan appears, she says Sulu ran off after Don Juan. <laughs> I mean, of course, we're supposed to assume he ran off to fight Don Juan and maybe find out what he is. But, but you don't see him for a while afterwards. I think that he ran after Don Juan to pull his pants down. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, world's greatest lover. Sulu wants a little bit of that. With jewel-encrusted weapons. We do find out how many people that work on the Enterprise, though. 433. Yep. The crew compliment. And that's about the most interesting bit of information I think this episode provides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's pretty much it. So Everyone gives butthead laughs at the end. Oh, yeah. That is good. Where they're like, ha, 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 ha this is great. <laughs> Tell them to beam up for a shore leave they'll never forget. <laughs> you know, like, it's a, uh, I, 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 I had to take a bath after watching this And then, this of course, episode. at the very end of the episode where they're all up on the bridge and they're doing their little, like, 30-second capper. Yeah. And they're all just like, man, we're so tired and relaxed. Like, God, you guys were just fucking for, like, two straight days. I, and, I mean, it's one of those, yes, it's 2012, we're all perverted and cynical, but watching it, they, they intended that. Like, you know that's exactly what they meant to do with the... the yeah. They did not rip that woman's tunic for no reason. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So how, how many triples would you give this one, Richard? I would give this a... a, a this, this gets four triples. It's watchable. Four. I give it five. It's like, it's like an average... It's an average episode. Okay. I, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just kind of there. Like, it's not one of my first choices to watch, or my second, or my third, or my 15th, but, you know... It is what it is. It's better than... What was the really bad one we saw? The, the, it's better than the Shakespeare one. 
Conscience of the King, yes. It is better than Conscience of the King because I did not want to fall asleep while watching it. All right, we're going to have a triple feature. It's going to be where Mailman has gone before, Conscience of the King, and Shoreleaf. Why would you do that to me? Because I hate you. All right, so let's move on to the Galileo 7. I liked this episode a lot. I liked this this episode too. This is one of my favorite episodes so far. It was a lot of fun. Like, there was just... I was never bored during this episode. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, go for it. Okay, so um, it, it, it's funny because I was thinking about this in light of uh, Balance of Terror when you said, you know, that one shows the crew all at their back, you know, shows the crew all doing something. That's in this one, but I think they explain why ev- the stakes are so clear on this one more so than in any other episode mm-hmm. we know exactly what the ship is doing you know they're delivering medical supplies to the plague victims and they're taking a detour to examine a plot device and you know that strands some members of the crew on a planet and they can't find him because the plot device has ruined the communications okay we know what the initial situation is all right so they have you know, two days to find them because they need to deliver the medicine in three days and they need three days to take or something like that. They explain the time limit very clearly. They explain why everything, you know, things are coming up bad in the teleporter. So we know why they can't use the teleporter. And everything that they're doing in this episode makes complete sense. I like that a lot. No, I agree with that. Um, I think all of those things are true. Uh, I think that, you know, the danger feels real oh, for yeah, most of the episode. It's very clear that they can't stay on this planet indefinitely because there's these big, there's giants that are trying to kill them. Yeah, there are okay. giants that are there that are trying to kill them. Uh, it also doesn't look like the most hospitable planet. I don't know if they're going to be growing uh, green beans there anytime soon. Uh, the one thing I don't like about this episode, which is a very minor thing because I think most of the episode is very good, is the Galactic High Commissioner who... His sole purpose seems to be to remind the audience of the time limit. Like, yeah. I just, that, that didn't do it for me. And I, I kind of understand where they were going for. I think th- if there's one thing that you can criticize Star Trek for so far, it's not really giving any sort of uh, concrete example of a chain of command. Yeah. And all of the problems that entails, which, you know, is well there's really no dramatic tension because kirk is out here alone and he's doing his shit and and, you know yes he gets orders to go deliver medical supplies or go to this planet or go to here or there do something but who is in charge of kirk and i think this kind of was one of their attempts to give that explanation but it just comes across as you have 24 hours remaining yeah i knew there was a living like you know it's just kind of like not really cool and also i don't really understand what the point of making him such a dick is like that as well right like at least make him a little bit sympathetic or kind of more of an interesting character at least give him something to do other than just to yell at us about the time well what i thought the episode is about ultimately is different ways of dealing with leadership and having authority and having someone have authority over you yes and what is the right so you have this and then now Spock is always logic, you know, Bones is always, you know, Spock is always utilitarianism, Bones is always humanism, you know, Kirk, usually they're mitigated through Kirk, who is action, and, you know, wants to do something and doesn't want to sit back, so he has the input from the two sides, and then he just kind of fuses them together. In this episode, we see, number one, utilitarianism and humanism battling against each other 
without a mitigating force. There is no compromise that is going to be made by an out- a third party in this. The two of them have to make their compromise on their own terms. You have a lot of these things about, well, what is the – is it better to have a democracy or to have a, le- a strong leader who is very specifically making decisions? So you have unabashedly when Spock is going to make a decision, for the most part, you're going to think that's the right decision to make. You know, during the whole thing when – Dude is like, oh, well, Spock, I think we're all voting, you know, and Spock's like, shut up, I'm fucking Spock, man, you know, you're thinking, yeah, because you have the highest rank here, and you know this the best, and you're the smartest there, you know, yeah, by rights, you should have authority. Well, who is the smartest and most authoritative person on the ship? It's this high commander guy who we all think is a dick and him immediately saying, you know, this is because I outrank everybody. This is my decision. And this is what you're going in that case. You're saying, but Kirk, Kirk is the one to make the decision here. And what Kirk says, and you know, just because you're of a higher rank doesn't mean that you know what's going on. I think they, they're, the stories are counterpoints to each other. His thing is to make so that you can't necessarily, I liked this episode because it had so much uh, ambiguity to it, and I, think I can he, see that. I think yeah. he kind of makes that ambiguity for that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, can see that. Uh, I, I just think that they, they on a plot level, yeah. On a, I, I just think that that perhaps it could have been uh, more delicately handled. I mean, yes, that that definitely is a counterpoint to the story going on on the planet surface, where Spock is trying to, and this is very explicitly said that this is his first command. Uh, it, trying to engender he's not really trying to engender respect because it's his logical assumption that he is the most senior officer therefore he is in command he doesn't think about all of the myriad emotional connections that people have to positions of authority he just thinks that since he's in charge everyone will listen to him well that's not the case i mean you need to earn your respect you need to uh, it, it, you need to show judgment. You need to show compassion. You need to show all of these things that Kirk does, obviously. And that's very true. But when you have this galactic high commissioner on the ship, which number one is a laughably absurd, <laughs> like highfalutin title. Um, and would he really be on a medical supply run, by the way? Yeah. Like why, why is he there? Um, you know, what, what, what exactly is his position? And I think this is one of the, this is really one of the first episodes where you start to see the lack of any sort of forethought put into the structure of this society or, or Starfleet or anything like that, because it's not clear that he's military. It's not clear why he has authority over the ship or over Kirk. Yeah. It almost seems like he's a politician or has like an of like legal status or like a judge or something like Like, why not, why not just call him King space? I mean, like, (laughs) you know, like, there's no there's no real logic to that title i mean obviously it sounds impressive but sounding impressive and being impressive are two different things yeah and there's certainly that and the entire kirk sections of it are mostly just there to because you know shatner was contracted and because and they're they're, they are there to hang that idea on right certainly i know but what i think it is interesting and this is the first episode that i feel that the anthology format actually is a strength because Spock's been briefly in command before several times we've seen anytime Kirk is incapacitated Spock gets that we've never seen him conflicted about we've never seen you know people rebelling against his authority in these matters now yes he hasn't been as isolatedly commanded commanding as in this situation but 
you know, that's never been mentioned before. Because this can be viewed standalone, you can say, all right, well, you know, Spock's going to be dealing with these issues of command and whether he feels that he's right for this and whether he has any doubts and whether the men doubt him and whether, you know, and all these things. And because it's viewed on its own, that doesn't contradict any other characterization. Because the characterization is so broad, you're able to explore these kind of nuances from time to time. I agree with you to some respect. I also think that uh, um, in some respects, I think you're you're kind of misreading it a little bit because I think there's a difference there where the episodes where Spock was briefly in charge before, mostly I think that those are situations, number one, they're on the ship where there's a large body of like settled I don't know, like law or whatever. Like there's rule books, there's, there's regulations, there's like things that you do in that kind of situation. Um, Whereas this kind of situation where they're marooned on a planet trying to escape while being attacked by hostile natives, that, that sort of command I think is a little different from what had gone before. And so, which is fair. This is more of a, this is more of a command where he needs to, earn the trust, earn the respect, earn sort of those kind of things from these people because they're in a very unusual situation, let's say. Of course. And none of them are really in their own positions. None of them are are in their departments or what have you. They're not performing their normal job functions. And so, you know, being able to decide who's going to do what, uh, when they're going to do it, you know, who are you going to put on guard duty? All these kind of things, I think, come into play. Of course, no, and I, I don't deny that. And he is in command to a much, uh, and, and for a much longer period of time than he normally is, as well. Um, so yes, certainly that is that is a point. Um, that being said, you know, the show has the room to have just we're going to make a one-off thing exploring Spock because yeah. there is no, you know. Yes, there usually is an established format, but deviating it for an episode, again, because it's not within such a strong continuity as shows are, it can do that without, you know, just because it feels like it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's right. Um, you know, I think the one the one interesting thing about this episode, aside from that, is uh, it, 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 there are these kind of questions of, of uh, you know, emotion and logic and, and what is important in these kind of yeah. things. And, um, you know... I think it's a little too on the nose sometimes, and I think you know Star Trek tends to be a little too of on the course. nose sometimes. And I can, ex- I feel, I feel like I'm being down on the show this week for some reason. Yeah. I, I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe it's just Sunday, and you know, I won't go to work tomorrow. But like, you know, it, it is a little bit, a little bit too on the nose sometimes. And I think you know, especially in terms of like, again, it just really was, it was really pushing my buttons that like Bowman was like so. Like, he was just being, I mean, for lack of a better word, he was just being a little bitch. Like, I he was just s- like, yeah. he was just like, oh, no, 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 like, I, we need to bury him. We need to do this. I want to go home. Yeah, like, you know what? Like, fuck, like, man up, dude. Like, you're in the fucking army or whatever. Like, dude, the fucking yeoman was tough. Yeah. Was, she was just like, fuck, this sucks. I got hit on the head, but ha ha, I got hit on the head. All right, this this is bad. I don't want to die. What the fuck do I do? Let me get my little binocular tape recorder, and we're going to do this. And there's no, uh, like, the one end of the episode, right, which is this great moment where they, they're, they're like, 10 minutes from liftoff. And oh, and there's, that- a, there's a dead body in the shuttlecraft, and, and Bowman is the one who's like, we, we can't leave without burying him. We have to be. I'm like... 
well, why? Why do we need to bury him? Like, either you're going to be rescued, in which part you can then give the body a proper burial, or... Well, they have to get rid of the body either way, because I think they established that it's, you know, 150 pounds overweight, and Bowman weighs 150, and, you know, oh, dude yeah. weighs 150 pounds, so they have to get rid of the body. See, I was under, He's objecting more to... I was under the impression that they had gotten rid of, like... Um, equipment on the ship oh yeah they did but would it, have taken care of that i don't think it's they clear said it was way. like I, I what the impression that i got and i thought they said this is like you know they needed to lose 250 pounds they found 100 pounds worth of shit that they oh, could get okay. rid of the rest was a little too necessary they still needed to you know 150 pounds less they're trying to strip as much as they can but you know a body that weighs 150 pounds you know spock saying we just jettison this thing you know get rid he, of the chairs <laughs> Like just sit on the floor. I don't know. Like, it just, I don't. Yeah, it depend, I I don't know. But, but but yeah, like I think you know. So so the, the very end of the episode is that you know McCoy Bowman and and Spock says yes, I will help you bury the body. He doesn't really get it. He sort of you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the parts of the episode I think is the strongest. Where throughout the episode you're seeing Spock doing things the way that he thinks they should be done, which is of course yeah. logical and reasoned out. I think at the very end of the episode where he's telling Bowman, look, you know. We that's not logical to bury him. You know, we should just throw him out. Like it's dangerous out there. There's you know giants who are going to come and throw giant spears at us and kill yeah. us. We've already gotten two people killed this way. Let's not have any more people die. And Bowman sort of pushes back a little bit, and I think Spock realizes, okay, I'm not dealing with Vulcans. Like I'm yeah. dealing with human beings. This is important to him. I'm not going to argue with him. It's it just let's just let's just do this, right? It's kind of like it's kind of like a father being like, okay, you know what? You're overtired. Let's just go to bed. Like, you know, that kind of thing. Well, let me ask you, let's take a quick trip into geekery. What is the Vulcan rights and responsibilities to the dead? Um I honestly do they have don't. Funerals? I don't. Do they, yeah. I don't know. Actually, I don't. I don't. I can't. I can't think of anything where that's ever really, uh, ever really explored. I, I feel yeah, like. I feel like. God, it, yeah. I feel like it must be, but they they would. I mean, they would yeah. have rites and rituals for and, for their dead, of course. And we know, you know, on Earth, one of the main reasons we bury bodies is for because rotting bodies, you know, make everybody sick. So you right. would assume that, you know, on Vulcan, there is some kind of disposal. And you know, who wants to have bodies? <laughs> but I mean, the, some Vul- kind of the Vulcans, the Vulcans are basically space Jews. So I imagine it's you know, yeah. What? However, however, Jews bury their dead which very is, quickly. Very quickly, yes. Which you know, that's it. I mean, that's um, probably what they would do. I mean, I I, I, I got the sense from this episode he has a body as a shell type of thing yeah you know? i don't and just if the person if the body is dead it's just nothing but bones and flesh yeah, and i not, think you know that's not the person yeah it's not it's yeah there's no there's no real respect to not burying the body I yeah think, because vulcans because vulcans value logic above all else yeah and there's no it's not logical to risk the lives of people yeah. to, to to bury a dead body well there's a moment early in the uh, earlier in the episode when he 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 Shoot! They shoot the phasers at the thing, and it's very interesting that he very specifically says, "You know, I don't want you just killing these things because not not because they'll kill us again, but because you know respect for life, and you know we can't just wantonly kill these things, right? Know? Because we have superior weaponry, and we'll do really fine against them." Um, and I think it's interesting that he does this five minutes after just saying, "Well, we don't need to bury these bodies." Um, 
because he he's the character everybody else thinks humans are special and he does not. He doesn't think any species is special. I think he he's very much on this going as long as you've attained sentience you have equal worth and dignity and you know if you die you know that's your body and that doesn't you know matter anything but you know we can't kill all of these things just to save ourselves because they have equal value to us. It's, I thought that was an interesting point. I, I honestly think you're misreading that. Really? Yeah, and I think that there's a, there's an episode later on this season where uh, you will I, – I hope that I remember this because okay. you, you'll eat those words. That's fine. Like, but it's also one remember of, it's anthology one those... format. It can be different. You can have different views on respect for life from episode to episode. Well, that's true, but I think, um, I think in terms of characterization, I think it, it, they generally stay consistent from episode to episode. And I think I think what you're seeing there is not really not really any sort of like respect for life or anything I, like that. Although it's there, yeah. I think it's more. We don't need. It's it's not logical to expend the energy to kill these beings. It's not logical to kill them because we can scare them away. He 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 basically yeah. he says in the episode that he miscalculated. But it, it, and yeah. he says, oh well. I thought that they were operating on a certain level of instinct or or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, and, They'd be and too scared. And logically, then- you know, in, in these 500 situations beforehand, this worked. So logically, it will work this time. But it didn't work for whatever reason. But and so it was it was a yeah. logical calculation. It wasn't like any sort of like generalized I, respect. He for does life. say that though. That is one of the things he says. But either way, the point of that is when he you know he his his logic is okay. We show superior weaponry. They're going to say, well, you know, they're better than us. We're not going to attack them. And because logically, that's what he does. And when McCoy says, yeah, well, you know, you attacked them, you know, and they just want us dead, like you know, beyond reason. They're just angry, you know. Spock's expression is one where he not only had never thought of that, but he he never even acknowledged the possibility that anybody ever may would ever do that. Yeah, you know, lo- he is such a creature of logic that going through something by a fear and anger instinct is incomprehensible. And that's, I think, the moment when he starts to say, "Well." You know, he realized that these are creatures of illogic and that dealing with an illogical situation logically is illogical. And that's right. why at the end he does this desperate, you know, and they say it's a, explicitly say it's a desperation move. He jettisons the fuel so it burns and basically they can see this from space and they know exactly where to pick him up, which um, is a brilliant plan. Yeah, um, yeah. I, and of course, at the very end of the episode, they're all yeah. gathered on the bridge after they're all rescued and, and, and – uh, you know, they say, well, desperation is, is an emotion, Spock. Yeah. And, you know, how did you do this? And he kind of gives this sort of like hand wavy, like, well, yeah. it was really logical for desperation to be this way because X, Y, and Z. And everyone sort of goes, ha, 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 <laughs> oh, Mr. Spock. And then the episode ends. Um, but yeah, I think you're, you're, that's one of the, the sort of like the characteristics of, of the character is that characteristics of the character. Yeah. Uh, that he, his half human side is there. And I think yeah. we always have to remember that. And he has emotions more strongly than perhaps Vulcan, you know, pure, pure blooded Vulcans yeah. do. He's learned to suppress Discipline them, them yeah. as a true Vulcan would. Uh, but at the same time, he does do things sometimes that make you wonder. And he's become sort of adept at, these uh mental gymnastics to explain to other people and his to himself. Po- yeah and to <laughs> himself exactly maybe he's lying to himself yeah. his possible emotional reactions in situations of great stress 
and then explains why they're logical. Yeah, he almost views his emotions as kind of one of his superpowers because Spock has superpowers. We we cannot forget this. The show explicitly gives him superpowers. All right. Um, one of his superpowers is he can just go on to this, you know, emotional mode where he just makes this really illogical, strange, crazy decision, you know, once an episode, and, you know, that saves the day. And, you know, it's something he, if he's using it all the time, it cripples him, but if he he's disciplined himself that he can wield as a weapon almost. Yeah. I think that's what's interesting about it. Yeah. I think, I think the other interesting thing about it as well is that there's a great line early on in the episode where uh, Kirk says... They're they're like when they when they first um, crash or they first get lost and they have to go and, and, and orbit the planet to find them. And the Galactic High Commissioner is like, oh, well, we have to be in sick planet X. I think it's the new Paris or something. Plagonia. Yeah, Plagonia. We have to be a Plagonia in two days and you, we can't miss that because, you know, X, Y and Z. And Kirk says, well, these are my friends and my shipmates. I think that's yeah. interesting. I think that's an interesting line because... He says friends first. Yeah. That's kind of like a nice encapsulation of the whole the whole episode and, and maybe the whole series. Yeah. Like, you know, yes, these are these are people I work with. These are these are my shipmates, but you know, to a to a to a larger degree, these are my friends. And I care about these people. I want them back. Well that's we're a, going to get them back. That's almost an ingredient in pretty much every sci fi show that has a crew because mm-hmm. you have to have the captain if you don't have the captain immediately willing to risk his life for any shipman, shipmate, uh, any crew person, whatever, crew, um, crew, crew, any crew, person, yeah. um, then, you, you know, and that's one of the things Firefly runs with that. Babylon 5 runs with that. Firefly runs with that, by the way. Uh, I, 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 this is, I, I, I don't know if this set the model for that or if that was a thing already. I mean, I assume it would be, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean that you might even go as far as like Greek myth for that probably. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I, mean, I this... guess that's one of those, yeah, that's one of those characteristics of a leader. You want him to love his people. You yeah. don't like leaders who, it wasn't until later that we started getting leaders who were, you know, in comics when you have, you know, more darker takes and yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, this, watching the show is making me appreciate Shatner and Nemo's acting a lot more because yeah, they, they mostly they, see there's this one wonderful moment at the end when uh they're like at the last second trying to beam them down so you have your her and she's saying okay the train you know and they're trying to see you know first they say the ship you know burnt down and then they say we got five people and they're alive and like it, 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 and you see and they have this reaction shot of shatner and you can tell that Kirk has not slept for the past couple days. He has been subsisting on black coffee and protein bars. Um, or salad. Yeah, <laughs> the true salad. Uh, no, Yeoman Rand's not around to give uh, him salad no. anymore. You know, he's sick with worry. He can't do anything. I mean, during the entire episode, he barely does anything because his hands are totally tied, but he's just trying everything he can. He's terrified. He's sick with worry. And he just, when they say, you know, and they're alive, his face goes through about seven emotions at once. He's relieved. He's about to cry. He's terrified because he doesn't know which five it is. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he, and, and but you can also tell like he's, his adrenaline has finally, he's finally gotten that adrenaline crash. He knows he still has a few hours where he has to do stuff before he can sleep. He has some more orders to give. He has to finish this, but the initial is done and he just 
Shatner nails that look. Yeah, yeah. And I, you think of him as a very hammy actor. That was much more subtle. He can do subtle work when he wants to. And I, I think that's, yeah. you know... I, I think that's one of the reasons why people like the show so much, right? Because yeah. he does that well. And the chemistry between the main actors, yes, it is chemistry, but it's also acting. And and they, they do a good job of it. But, I, I mean, mean, you need both to have it. You know, exactly. You, you and I have chemistry. We'd be terrible actors, you know, two people who are really good you actors need, that hate right. each other. It shows that, too, you know? You need both. You need it, both. It was a remarkable... Th- it, it. I mean, this cast, I am starting to come around to. It was a, you know, this was a brilliant casting job. And I w- really do want to see more of it with the full group. I like episodes where there are the full group there. Yeah. And they sh- well, let's- I feel they'll do more of that as they go on. I feel they're still establishing some characters. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, right? Because this is the first episode where we've had any significant Scotty time. And I feel I still don't really know who yeah. Scotty is as a person. Yeah. I know he's... All I know about Scotty is he's Scottish and has a brilliant and he's a brilliant engineer. That's kind of the same thing I know about. Your hero is black, and she's a brilliant communicator. And you know, and she likes S- to sing. Sulu is Asian and gay, and you know, yeah, we know a little bit about more about the other characters. I mean, Scotty, we, know, we don't know much. We know some about Sulu. I mean, we know that he sort of like fancies himself a swashbuckler, and he he likes adventure. And, <laughs> you know that he he has like a sort of a technical mind because he likes to tinker with old technology yeah. and things like that. Um, yeah, we don't know that much about Uhura other He's, than she likes to sing. Perhaps she's creative, but and, yeah, know. that's it. We figure she's um, an artsy type. She's into communication yeah you know, she probably yeah uh you know i think in this episode you start to see little glimpses of scotty i mean for example you know he he's very focused on his work even when the ship is rocking back and forth he's still looking through that little you know eyeglass thing or whatever it is um you know emptying the phasers into the into the power banks you know i think he he doesn't really pipe up that often in the in the in the debates which i think is interesting yeah, because he, he kind of stays out of it i think he feels like maybe he's not really that's not his plate, you know, not his place. He's not really interested in that. He's focused on the task at hand on getting it done. And I think that's kind of who Scotty is, right? I mean, that's a very, you know, stereotype technical thing. You know, they, the whole doesn't really know emotions or people doesn't really care about that, but the machines are what's really interesting. And we likes to figure out. So, I mean, his dialogue in this is mostly functional, you know, Oh, we have X technical problems. It's going to take Y hours to fix it. And I need to do Z. Um, and that's about what his role is. And I mean, maybe that's his character. Maybe yeah. That's intentional. Yeah. Late, you know, as Scotty's character develops, you'll, you'll get a little bit more of like a, like sort of a playful side or mischievous side. Um, of course. You, you don't really see that in this episode, but, but you will see that I think as it, as it goes on. Yeah. I, this episode, I kind of feel like they're, they're, they finally decided they need to give him stuff to do, but they haven't yet figured out who he is. Yeah. And, yeah. It there are a lot is there is a lot to the show where it still feels very unconceived. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is surprising this late in the game. Well, I think it's one of those things in in, in TV shows that you get, um, you know, maybe until about ten years ago, right? Where yeah. yes, you would you would conceive of a show, you would conceive of the characters, you would conceive of the uh, uh, of the plot and the outline and the sort of world that they're going to inhabit, but. More on a broad strokes level. Yeah. And since all television was anthology until, you know, 15 years ago or so when you start getting things like 
uh, Babylon Five, and you get Buffy, and 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 uh, you know, The Sopranos, of course, is the one that everyone starts uh, start to think of that as throwing it into the stratosphere, yeah. and making it this huge thing. It's like a that's how television is now. Uh, yeah, even know? the more serialized stuff like The Prisoner is still kind of anthologies. That was yeah, exactly subject. right. So. You don't really have any serialized, serialized television until, you know, the, the early to mid-90s. Uh, British, you know, we can talk about that. But it didn't really have much of an impact here. Um, yeah, you'd have – here we had more of the miniseries model where, you know, right. we conceived the five or ten episodes as a set. That's but, Well, that, that's, that's why British television was more serialized, yeah. right? Because British television was has always been sold as a series of, you know, six episodes, eight episodes, you know, however many episodes. You write all the episodes up front. You film them all. You get a commitment. You air them. And that's how it works. And so each – uh, series, and I mean, that's even yeah. why they call them series as opposed to seasons. Because yeah. there's more of this in American uh. television. There's more of this like cyclical idea where a I season is going to happen. A series is just a series of episodes, huh. and if you have more, you have more, but you may not. There's a second series of episodes commission. Okay, right. Um, and I mean, I also think in America the it was really the '70s that miniseries took off. That's when we had you know Thornbirds, right? Uh, uh, Roots, the Roots, big one, and yeah. things like that. So, yeah. you know, this was still about five, ten years off before that started to yeah. happen yeah. anyway. So. I don't really remember how we got down this this uh, rat hole, but... Um, but why don't we rate this episode eight tribbles? Eight tribbles. Eight tribbles. I find it found it fun to watch. Like yeah. I said, I, I wasn't bored with it. No, I, I really like this episode a lot. Uh, yeah, eight tribbles. Okay. I, I'd, I'd give it eight tribbles, too. Yeah. There was one f- final episode. Like, I... I I think a lot – what I thought was interesting is how this episode deals with the cell phone problem before cell phones, specifically that, you know, there's a lot of shows that if you have a communicator that solves all of your issues. Right. Um, so they have, you know, this plot device makes communication impossible type thing. Okay, fine. Um, And there's something wrong with the teleporters that they can't beam people up and down. Okay, fine. And we've seen that before. But in this episode, they have shuttles. Now – they explain in this episode why they can't use the shuttles, or, and they're trying, and you know it's just such a big planet. Fine, but well, they actually do use the shuttle because they, they. Well, but but the, you know, for this episode, it's not a problem. Oh yeah, for early episodes, um, what was the one with? I think with Kirk's doppelganger. So you have Sulu and everybody freezing to death on this planet, right? Knowing where their coordinates are, they can't use the teleporter to get them. So why don't they get the shuttle and pick them up right. and do a rescue that way? Like, there's several. Things in the other series where a shuttle would have fixed it, and I think this is the only episode where they decided they wanted to have them because well, that, you know because it's uh, it, for a contrivance, of course. But it's not because they wanted to have them; it's because they didn't have the budget to build one until this point. Is that true? Yeah, that's why. Huh? Yeah, they 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 always having a shuttle was always in the um, I believe it was always in the, okay. in the conception of the series, but. Um, the, the way the television, uh, sets used to work, I don't know that they still work that way is you would get a certain amount of money and you'd build all your sets. Um, okay. And I guess they just didn't have enough money to build a, a shuttle. And then, this and then they the got, show got more popular. Right. They got they got, another, well, actually, I don't know that it got more popular, but they got another influx. It never really did. It never really did that well. Huh. Um, but while well, it was canceled after three yeah, years, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's always, you know, we'll get into that a little bit maybe as, as we go on, but, um, Star Trek is sort of the archetypal um, underperforming genre show. Yeah, I always think it's hilarious that because it was only really recently that I found out that the original series didn't do that great when it's such a 
part of American culture. Yeah, it was. Uh, a, it was a cult. Yeah, a cult. Well, we can go into the story maybe at the yeah. end, but um, I think everybody pretty much knows it. But yeah, that was that was the reason why they they huh. they didn't have the budget, and they finally got the budget to build one. Yeah, but you so, think they would have mentioned that then in the Sulu episode, like, oh, we can't have the shuttles yeah. because you know. No, I agree. It's an oversight, you know, and that would have been fine because I could say, okay, I don't need to see a shuttle not working. You know, I know that just you have that. Um, yeah, and I think again, as, as you're always saying, there there are things in these episodes which are you know from the eyes of someone watching now are lacking right because i think in a show at this point in this episode you would have a if this show had been made nowadays either you would have had the shuttle in an earlier episode or they would have had some sort of like explanatory line in this episode which says oh we finally got our shuttles or whatever it is yeah to explain why they didn't have them before yeah i get but you know on the other hand of course these are not the this is not the order that the episodes were made in and so that's when you start getting into television as a much looser medium at this point and there really was no conception of you know okay we're going to make these in the order we're airing yeah, them because there's no need to there's no need to i mean yeah. you know there weren't dvrs people didn't treat television as any more than like a throwaway entertainment so a lot of these questions just were not even yeah. conceived of. If like, you watched it week to week, it was fine. But if you just, you know, hey, we're not doing anything tonight. Oh, look, Star Trek's on. Hey, yeah. You know, let's just stay in and watch it. That's fine, too. Right. And now, you, and now you can't watch a show in the middle. Exactly. And you always had your diehard Star Trek fans, which yeah. were home. At, you know, they made a point of be home oh, yeah. Friday nights to watch the show. Um, but yeah, nowadays that, just, that, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. I mean, if we, had, if we had the capability of time travel, we went back to 1966 and, and, and we're like, Hey, Gene Roddenberry, like we're going to be recording a podcast about this show in 50 years on our, uh, we're going to take our MacBook air and, you know, use our, in our home recording studio, get some, uh, record a podcast which people will get on their ipad and or iphone while in this and he would just shoot us because he wouldn't understand what we were saying and he kept a gun in his desk because it was 1966 and for that, that was exact okay reason. for that exact reason <laughs> if there's ever a time traveler to come back yeah no one day future gene rodberry's gene people will travel back in time and talk to you about podcast you must kill them <laughs> and i don't know why he would number one Future Gene Roddenberry died years before we even thought of this. So how he would know unless future, future Gene Roddenberry, who did not die because future, future, future Gene Roddenberry told him how to avoid it. Richard. I don't really know how many iterations of Gene Roddenberry this, there are, but this is really trying to start to terrify This me. sounds like some Star Trek Voyager Enterprise bullshit to me. I am so excited for Star Trek Enterprise Voyager. You really shouldn't be. <laughs> really, really should not be. Those are going to be... That's going to be a painful couple years, Richard. <coughs> are, are, are Eric, are and all our years together kind of painful? Yeah, I, you're just not going to be good. Like, seriously, those two years, don't look forward to them. Oh, oh, I will plan on drinking well, heavily. We will have fun. Uh, will we? And perhaps we will start drinking when we record these episodes because I... D- well, no. I think maybe what you should do is you should drink while you watch the episodes. You I, don't really need to drink while we record the episode. Let's put it that way. Oh, I think we can do both. Well, we can always do both. Yes. All right. So uh, next week, we are going to cover The Squire of Gothos. That sounds awful. It's actually a pretty good episode. But it has it, it has like the stereotypical like 
Yeah, yeah, that's like someone's Renfair character, and he's like 28, and he lives with his mother, and he, you know, he 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 works at the pizza place, and he LARPs. Like, that's the Squire of Gothos. Could be. And Arena, which... Is the name of the first Elder Scrolls game. You have no idea what episode that is, but when you watch it, you will know. Okay. Because this is one of those pop culture Star Trek things. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, until next week. And we'll see you. Bye.